0: The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. This is Adam from Mississippi. This is Rob from South Carolina. And the following movie was chosen by listeners like me. End of message. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of... Yeah, it's that bad. My name is Joel. And I'm Martin. This is a show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? what that boils down to is we look at movies that are rotten on Rotten Tomatoes and we reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 1999's Bicentennial Man, directed by Chris Columbus, starring Robin Williams, M. Beth Davids, Sam Neill, Oliver Platt, Kirsten Warren, Wendy Crewson, Haley Kate Eisenberg, John Michael Higgins, Stephen Root, and Lynn Thigpin. Bicentennial Man is a 1999 drama and science fiction film. This movie currently holds a 37% On Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis?
1: The Martin family purchases a domestic android as a servant and names him Andrew. Before long, the Martins suspect that they do not have an ordinary robot on their hands. Andrew seems capable of expressing emotion and generating original thoughts. And the longer he stays with the Martins, the more strongly these human traits manifest themselves. Over the next 200 years, Andrew becomes less a machine and more a member of the family. Until a mechanic tells Andrew that he might be able to turn him into a human being.
0: This is the winner of the Listener's Choice poll.
1: Let me also add that this is the first time that the winner of the Listener's Choice poll was the movie that we actually wanted to watch. Yeah,
0: this is the first time that that our choice has actually won.
1: I thought thought it was never going to happen. I thought that no matter (laughs) what movie we picked, the opposite one would win. Yeah,
0: so thank you very much to all the listeners. Yeah, thank you very much. Bicentennial, man, all the way.
1: What's your history with this? I've seen this movie probably like
0: six or seven times. (laughs) No, I
1: I, I have. I've seen a lot. And uh, to be honest... I like this movie. I do. I I enjoy watching it. I think I like the ideas that are presented in this movie more than I do the execution. Uh, It's not a secret, and I'm not going to keep it a secret, that I am an Isaac Asimov fan.
0: Uh, I actually read the short story that this is based on long before I saw the movie, and Maybe that was a mistake because the short story is really good. It's very good. This movie, on the other hand, uh, it's okay. This is probably my second time, second, maybe third time seeing it. I'm not really sure. Whatever.
1: It was shown on TV so much. It's I For me, it was hard to keep track, actually. Because like every time it would be on, I'd be like, oh, this movie's not bad. And I'd sit down and I'd actually finish it.
0: We got a voicemail from a listener. Oh, really? About this movie. To listen to your messages, press 1.
1: Hey guys, it is Jenny, a.k.a. Buxomia from Connecticut. I was going to rewatch watch Bicentennial Man, but I figured, fuck it, I am not going through that ever again. The thing is, when this movie came out, I was 12, and uh, we needed a family-appropriate movie, and because we were watching it with nine and eight-year-olds. So we picked Bicentennial Man because it was rated PG. Well, it wasn't very appropriate for children. There's actually a lot of bed scenes, but that's irrelevant. What's relevant is that there's no sense of space or time. I literally got jet lagged. And I saw this movie once in 1999, and I still remember it as being one of the most traumatic experiences ever, to the point where I won't watch Darren Aronofsky's The Fountain, because I feel like it would just be the same
0: movie. I cannot wait to hear you guys rip this apart. Bye. End of new messages. <laughs>
1: that was, that, was, that, was uh, that. That was great.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So let me just uh, touch on a very brief history of Bicentennial Man. Bicentennial Man is based on the novel The Positronic Man, co-written by Isaac Asimov and Robert Silverberg, which is itself based on Asimov's original novella titled The Bicentennial Man. Bicentennial Man came out during the same month as The Cider House Rules, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, The Green Mile, Any Given Sunday, Man on the Moon, Galaxy Quest, The Talented Mr. Ripley, and Fantasia 2000. With a budget of $100 million, the movie's gross revenue was only $87 million. Bicentennial Man was nominated for an Oscar for Best Makeup, as well as a Razzie for Worst Actor, Robin Williams. Okay, Martin, let's just do what we always do at the top of the show, and we'll talk about the actors and how you thought they did. All right, first up, Robin Williams, the Bicentennial Man himself.
1: (laughs) I like Robin Williams as an actor. I think that he potentially is able to deliver a really wide range of characters. He's he's played m- murderers. He's played, uh, I mean, he's, he's not just like pigeonholed into a comedic uh, role always. That being said, he really didn't bring uh, much of that to this movie. And maybe that's because he's supposed to be a robot.
0: I prefer Robin Williams in dramatic roles myself. And this this one is kind of in between both worlds. They kind of wanted to have it both ways. They wanted drama, they wanted comedy.
1: I think that that actually hurt the movie because yeah. because the issues that are brought up in this movie are not funny in any way. And they try to like add all this comedic or uh comedy relief to it and it just leaves you like confused like what the hell am I watching?
0: Okay. All right, next up, Sam Neill. He was good. Yeah, he's great. I'm a big. He, I love Sam Neill. He 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 brings every every movie I watch. Sam Neil's great.
1: Merlin. Oh <laughs> man, what a great miniseries! I own it. <laughs> I gotta go break out my VHS. Uh, and check it out. He was great
0: in Merlin, and yeah, I love Sam Neil. Like you, he brings uh, an air of sophistication. Everything he does. Next, okay, next up, he was a scientist in 2012. He's a scientist in this one. Oliver Platt. Nah. Ah, what? He, he was good. I don't know. He's a good straight man.
1: Yeah, I guess so.
0: I don't think he really had
1: much of uh, much of like an emotional like role in this movie. He was more like like a vehicle for Robin Williams to like do like some stupid comedic joke.
0: Okay, next, uh, little Miss Haley Kate Eisenberg, also known as the Pepsi Girl from the early 90s, and she is the sister of Jesse Eisenberg of Social Network and Zombieland Fame. I thought she was all right. Her cuteness levels were through the roof. They were. She had, um, these, she had these buck teeth that were like widely spaced apart, curly hair, she's like, oh, dimples. and uh,
1: I mean, like, she was. She had to be like, what, seven or six years old when this movie was filmed? Something like that.
0: For a six year old, I thought she did pretty good. And finally, the big heavy hitter here, Lynn Thigpen. Oh, yeah. For those who don't know, she played the chief in Where in the World is Carmen San Diego? She show. she had such a small role
1: in this movie. I don't even know why you're even bringing her up. She was in the opening credits. But yeah, and she was in the whatever the World Congress or whatever. The, she
0: was great. Best right, part of the that, movie. Is that best is that, part of
1: the movie? Okay, whatever.
0: All right, let's let's all right, let's dive into this thing.
1: Yeah, you ready? Gumshoes? Uh,
0: okay, so this movie starts off. Sam Neal is the father of a family. What he does, I'm not really sure, but he seems pretty wealthy. I think he makes clocks yeah, because he, he, he's he like, I'm a watchmaker of some sort, but like, he must be extremely successful. They live in a really fancy home. He bought an Android, brings it in to the family. He bought it as like a servant to do the housework. and
1: So, okay, he picks up this robot, which comes in, I don't know, like a... Eight by five comes out of crate. a toy
0: box or something and
1: yeah, but it's the size of like a refrigerator, I guess. And it pops out and it's human being esque robot inside of it with a remote control, which is only used once, I guess to turn him on. Oh yeah. Oh. And then and then after that, I guess they just throw it out. Right? Like what, what I, I didn't understand what that remote was for. Were they gonna like control him and move him around like an RC car? Like I didn't get that.
0: Yeah, you're right. All right, let's talk about how he looked. The bicentennial man himself. What do you think?
1: I actually didn't like the the character design for the androids in this movie. I, I thought that
0: they liked it a lot. I thought like his body was like too big and kind of chunky looking. And even when they made like the upgrades later on, it still looked kind of chunky and clunky.
1: It looked like he would have a hard time moving.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Like, he would, and his his purpose is to go around and watch, I mean, es- essentially he's like a maid, right? Or a butler. Yeah. So you'd think that they would make him so that he would be able to get around more easily.
0: Yeah, he seemed really uh, clumsy looking.
1: Which is weird because when he finally started designing the clocks, he was super precise about everything. Okay. So, that- like, how would he be able to do that with these, like, really,
0: really clumsy, thick digits? He has these thick, clumsy hands, and, and it's implied because when the little girl gives him his, the, the glass uh, horse... he. Drops he it. drops it cuz he fumbles it. But then later on his fingers are like like a maestro. He can play the piano
1: and I'm going to go even further and say that he has like the dexterity of like a heart surgeon because he makes this like <laughs> 1 inch by 1 inch like super detailed wooden horse out of a piece of driftwood he finds.
0: By by the way, when he dropped that horse, I have never laughed harder. <laughs> My life, that little girl's face. She's like, that was my favorite. <laughs> I just started cackling. It was funny the way he dropped it because it was like
1: it in was slow done. It was motion. It, yeah. it was filmed in the same way that the person drops the T virus in Resident Evil, the vial that <laughs> the T virus is in.
0: Yeah, and you know, and the robot has kind of like um a, his smile it reminds you like the Joker. Like he has like these these wings that like go up on the side of his cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to the people at home, Martin was drinking Coke Zero, <laughs> and he almost, burned, he almost spit that out everywhere. I just picture Robin Williams
1: as the Joker, like he's got the Joker makeup, the Heath Ledger Joker makeup. I just, I don't know, visually him cast as the Joker in Batman Dark Knight is funny to me. If I was designing a robot, I wouldn't have designed it like that, especially if it's going to be taking care of little kids, because... If I'm a little kid and this is going to be taking care of me during the day, that's going to terrify me. Just out of curiosity, can you imagine being left at home alone with something like this for like eight hours? Like,
0: Well, I mean, there's that one scene where they show the robot sitting in the basement. Just this really creepy scene where Sam Neill <laughs> walks down the and, he, and he's just sitting there in the shadows listening to this <laughs> eerie music. On I didn't the think that player. was
1: creepy. It was showing that he had like an enjoyment for it music. Was, it was
0: shot. Like something out of Psycho.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I thought that that was kind of touching. Okay, here is the problem. The way that his face was designed, I know what they were going for. They wanted to show him closing his eyes and show that he was actually enjoying the music. But the way that... Whoever designed the robot in this movie designed his face. That was just not physically possible with it. It just made it look like, like yeah, this but, really uh, creepy... I
0: guess that kind of fits in with the theme of the movie as a whole, though, right? Like He, ex- he experiences these emotions, but he, but can't, he can't express, express them. It. When the family figures out that the robot has the ability to learn, to reason, and to create... Like it has imagination and curiosity. They send it into the robotics factory where Steven Root is in charge and he asks to buy the robot back. He wants it to take it back because in his mind the robot's defective. If the robot is capable of moving outside of its parameters and being creative and doing all these things, it's capable of anything. It could run amok and just like kill everybody. So he wants to take it off the market. I think that's uh, smart. I like that. I mean that's that's what I would think too.
1: I mean, he's exhibiting creativity, but he's also exhibiting feelings. So, I mean, if you study his quote-unquote in this movie, Neural Pathways, you could probably get your first clue into like what makes up the human soul or what we would consider the, the human soul as in like a creativity, individuality, the ability to feel and reason. I think that that's like a, a really interesting thing that I'd want to study, not, not just destroy it. He'd
0: yeah, you know, at this point so far, the movie is... It's interesting, you know? At, th- at this point, it's pretty good. I, I, I like what I've seen. It's thought-provoking stuff.
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of interesting questions that are thrown out there.
0: And then we have this scene. <laughs> <laughs> if we may, a dramatic reading.
1: People actually do this, sir? Well, yes. And married people, one supposes they see it as some kind of requirement or obligation?
0: Well... It's not exactly an obligation, Andrew.
1: (laughs) That's a relief.
0: And it's the natural and preferable way to conceive children.
1: Sir, all of these millions of sperm, only one makes it? That's true. What happens to the others? Well, they die. They die? One feels badly for them.
0: Well, one does, but it's completely agreed that it feels good. For both parties, sir? In an ideal world. (laughs) (laughs) So people do it rather frequently. (laughs) How often, sir? Well, as often as they can, a matter of fact. Ah. Well, uh, at least at first. And <laughs> scene. <laughs> yeah, this this scene is a, was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Here's what I don't
1: understand. It's like a father and son scene. Yeah, Sam, and Sam Sam. Neal is giving him the facts of life. But he's a robot. He doesn't have a penis. He's got like a cod plate. He doesn't have a penis.
0: <laughs> what is the point? That brings up the question. In the, in the voicemail we played earlier in the beginning of the show, she said that her family watches because it's supposed to be family fun for everyone.
1: This is a heartwarming comedy for the family. Yeah. According to the back of the DVD at least. And then we have this this really <laughs> awkward birds and bees talk sperm talk between a man and a robot <laughs> in front of like a warm in, in, a in, front of like in front of a fireplace in like a in, in like a smoking room in like his library.
0: Yeah, this is pretty excellent. Great great scene.
1: After this uh he sits down and plays a duet with Little Miss.
0: As, as a little girl, right?
1: Yeah, she's a little girl. I, I thought that this was a great time transition.
0: What happens here is the first of many, many, many time jumps in this movie. And how far do you think they jumped? Because when they, when they cut back, Little Miss and her sister are older, but... I got the implication that there was supposed to be like 18 or something, but there were 30. You know, one of the weird things about this movie is that it's supposed to take place in the future, yet only one character is ever wearing futuristic clothing, and that's the daughter. I
1: know. And and then
0: (laughs) she looks like when, when they show her, she's like dating a biker. And she's wearing, like, this jumpsuit that has burgundy and purple stripes. She looks like she's, I love. I love the wedding scene
1: dress she's wearing. Oh, the yeah. big yellow, like, hoop on the top. She looks like she was in, like, the
0: Joker's gang from Batman Beyond. Shut the hell up. <laughs> Shut the hell up. Read this. Read my note. Read it. Read right, my note. Right. Read, read my note <laughs> okay. out right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Martin and I did not watch this movie together. We were in two completely separate parts of the country. <laughs> yes, we were. Read my note about that scene. Martin wrote... Bat- Batman Beyond Joker Motorcycle Guy Clothing.
1: (laughs) Listen, like, to be close with our notes about that, what was it? It it was Law Abiding Citizen. Law Abiding Citizen, where the dungeon, like, dungeon's a pretty generic term, but this is a very specific (laughs) reference to a very specific show. And for us to have the exact same note, I cannot believe that. That is unbelievable.
0: Okay, after the time jump, we see that um, they go back to Steven Root, and he wants to get these upgrades so he can get these new facial expressions, these new facial features. And Stephen Root is like, these are really expensive. You might not be able to afford it. And, and he shows him how much it's going to cost. And then Robin Williams is like, oh, that's my monthly salary. And then Stephen Root's like, that's more than I make in a year. Which begs the question, Where's he getting all this money from? All right, so after he gets his new face, to me, I thought the original design looked bad. I thought this looked even worse. This new this is- goofy, I called it silly rubber goofy <laughs> face, man.
1: This was the scene where they first, uh, I guess, touted his ability to smile at the wedding. And this is the point in the movie that I burst out laughing. When he smiles at Little Miss like a pedophile would smile at a kid leaving like elementary school. He's like,
0: mmm. Eyebrows, they shoot up to the sky. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was that, that was ridiculous. <laughs> so I guess little by little, he's becoming more and more ridiculous looking until we reach the apex of his ridiculousness looking where he just looks like Robin Williams.
0: Okay, so at the wedding, we come to the scene which to me is the most memorable of this movie. Like this is the one scene that's always stuck with me when I saw it, when I first saw it all those years ago. It's a scene where Sam Neill and the robot are sitting after the wedding. Robin Williams is wearing his ridiculous tuxedo. Yeah, they got their arms crossed. And Sam Neill goes, hey, did you record the day? He's like, I sure did. I half expected
1: them to crack open a Budweiser and start drinking it together.
0: Yeah, his his head pops open and and a holographic display of Sam Neill and Little Miss dancing appears. The music swells and the camera starts rotating. Sam crying. And this is supposed to be this really dramatic, emotional thing. And I'm sitting there, my arms are crossed. I've got a scowl <laughs> on my face. <laughs> and I'm like, this, this is what I said. This movie is really schmaltzy. That's the term I use. Sappy is good. Sappy, man. Sappy is good. Like, this is really ridiculous. Like, they're really trying to tug on my heartstrings here. And uh, it's not working after the wedding we get the on-screen text and 12 years later so you another time jump right in the span of like what 15 minutes they, they jumped they jumped like 30 years you know you had another jump ahead into the future and uh they're on the beach and little missus kids are wearing like plastic bags <laughs> yeah
1: what what was that <laughs> i guess that's that's futuristic sunscreen is just like a plastic garbage bag They
0: look like body bags like what are these what are they doing <laughs> at this point robin Williams makes it clear that he wants his freedom. And he does it in this really over-the-top manner. And if we may, a dramatic
1: reading. One has studied your history. Terrible wars have been fought where millions have died for one idea, freedom. And it seems that something that means so much to so many people would be worth having.
0: That was the most heavy-handed thing in this movie, I thought.
1: It was cheesy but what I didn't understand was why Sam Neal's character was angry.
0: He was adamantly against it. He was why? he was offended, I guess.
1: But it doesn't make sense to me if he's going around teaching him like a son. Yes. He's he's treating him like a son. Yeah, so when he, he he's like he's 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 offended when he doesn't want him to be a slave?
0: Okay, so Robin Williams, he wants to be free and he goes to Sam Neal cuz he's Sam Neal's his owner and he goes I want to be free. Declare me free. And Sam Neill is extremely offended by this. And you're right. Like, why? What's the deal? Like, isn't that what we were building towards this whole time? Essentially,
1: you're teaching him everything about human culture. He's becoming more and more human constantly. And you're treating him like like your son. And then all of a sudden you get offended that he doesn't want to be your
0: slave. Well, after this, Sam Neill says, get the hell out of here. So he kicks him out. And then he he (laughs) builds the most beautiful house right on the beach. I don't know... I, I, yeah. It, it, oh yeah. It
1: looks like it looks like he just as like a hobo walked up to the beach somewhere and just built a house. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing. I'm like, wait, what is the legality of? <laughs> he wrote that down too. I was like, can you just build a house on the beach? What about erosions? Like, what about the tide and surf? Is that gonna destroy your home? Because he's like five five feet from where the ocean's lapping. <laughs> Isn't that like government property? <laughs> it looks like he just like sets up like a he sets up a campfire which again also makes no sense he's a robot what does he need a campfire for then another time jump and he's got this gorgeous house that he just built on the beach 10 feet from the water (laughs) how did he do that oh man where did he get the materials for yeah yeah, (laughs) did he carry it there by hand or did he go like he did in the beginning with little miss and pick up driftwood (laughs) yeah he (laughs) he picked up driftwood and built the whole house
0: All right. So it's at this point that he decides I'm going to go out into the real world and see if I can find other robots like me. Perhaps I'm not alone. So he, he runs off on yet another time jump, 20 year journey, walking the countryside, I guess, looking for other robots and everyone that he finds is the bust. First, he goes to New New York and he sees the super twin towers. Yeah, I wrote that down too. I
1: said twin towers still in this movie. Yeah, and but it's like it's like they put another twin towers on
0: top oh, of the twin yeah, towers, yeah, so double that, the size. So now it's like four thousand feet tall. <laughs> and and then he goes to San Francisco and there's a double decker Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, so you know it's at this point where uh, <coughs> Bicentennial Man's Jar Jar Binks shows up. <laughs> In the form of a female robot <laughs> called Galatea, <laughs> and she comes into the marketplace, and she's got a personality, and and we, we have the implication that, uh, that that Robin Williams is aroused because he's like he sees this dancing his, robot, his, his jaw, jaw drops. Robot. Where did he learn that? He's like, he's like <gasps> oh. Whoop-
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then he has to lift it up with his hand like he's like he's lost control over his mouth. I
0: expected like a robo tongue to roll out onto the floor. She's hot stuff. And then she slaps her thighs or her ass, and then it starts playing R-E-S-P-E-C-T. I was shivering with anger and rage <laughs> at how bad this scene was. I really dislike this. So, okay, he follows her back to
1: this uh robotic repair shop, essentially, and he meets somebody who worked at the company where he was originally built. It's at this point in the movie where he begins his transformation from robot with the you know all of these human feelings, and now he's going to start to actually physically transform himself.
0: Yeah, this, this is where they start to begin his transformation from in, you know more humanoid android kind of thing. And Oliver Platt is there as a scientist. He he has this ball of silly putty goo. You know, reminded me of Flubber. Yeah, so he takes this, this glob of, of flubber gack and just slaps it on this you know this robot skull, just slaps it on it, and then he starts to sculpt it with his bare hands, right? First it's a blob, then they cut to Robert Williams, and when they cut, it's like a, a, a primitive face, and then when they cut back to Robert Williams, <laughs> and when they cut back, it's, it's like a perfectly formed human face. He did it with his bare hands. <laughs> It's like what? Are you, like wow! You missed your call. You should have been a sculptor.
1: Not only that, but like everything's perfectly colored. Like yeah, in there's all these wrinkles, pores. Seconds,
0: <laughs> he made a perfect human face in three seconds. I'm like wow. All right, so you know after after all this stuff, uh, he becomes. More human than human, as Rob Zombie once told me. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) he looks like Robin Williams now. Yeah, so, you know, once he becomes a human being, I found something to be really obnoxious. Like, they made a really annoying artistic choice at this point in the movie. Whenever he would blink, it would, like, squeak.
1: I didn't understand the necessity for that. They wanted to show, I guess, that he wasn't human. Queek, queek.
0: Or some whatever the noise was. like. It's like, okay, you know, we already know he's a robot man. All right? Yeah, we've been he's watching, watching he's, an hour and a half yeah, of this movie, <laughs> and you've been a robot the whole, whole time. We know he's still a robot. As we said, it's been 20 years. He goes back to his old home, and he finds Little Miss playing the piano, and, and apparently she's gotten younger. You know, she, she found the fountain of youth somehow. Oh, no, that's not the case. The reality is that Little Miss is, in fact, an old woman, and the woman that looks exactly like her, is her granddaughter. And the way they do this is that they just have the same actress playing <sighs> both roles. Is this even genetically possible that you look identical to your grandmother? Not like, not like. oh, you look kind of like him. No, you're the exact same person. You know what? It's really funny because, like, <laughs> Little Mrs. Carter, who's an old woman
1: now, goes, Andrew, it's all right. This happens. Genetically, sometimes it skips a generation, and I have a clone.
0: Are they afraid that the audience would get confused and just not know what to do? Like. Come on, dumb! Just get another person altogether to do it. What what I don't understand
1: is how they fall in love because you know the the the, 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 the 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 entire first the the entire introduction between him and Portia is just him like berating her and belittling her yeah yeah so maybe maybe she likes a bad boy and she likes people to like abuse
0: her like i don't get that yeah so she was gonna marry somebody like she was on her wedding night like on the eve of the wedding so yeah she decides to break it off so she can date this fake man like what is that the guy must have been a real chump if yeah maybe that's all it took maybe she didn't want what's, what's really strange to me is i feel like a lot of
1: women would have a natural desire to have children but by dating Andrew, that goes out the window.
0: Not happening. Right? then yeah, you to adopt. Try hey. explaining that to your son that, hey, your dad's a Your dad's a robot. robot. He's not even a human being.
1: <laughs> oh, man. I can't even imagine it. To- hey, do you think he would have the birds and bees talk like he had with Sam Neill with his son?
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> Oliver Platt goes up to uh, Robin Williams and he says, hey, I've, I've created a new modification that will turn you into a real man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, w- once again, a final dramatic reading. What do they say?
1: That you can lose yourself, everything, all boundaries, all time that two bodies can become so mixed up that you don't know who's who or what's what and just when the sweet confusion is so intense you think you're gonna die you kind of do leaving you alone in your separate body but the one you love is still there that's a miracle you can go to heaven and come back alive you can go back anytime you want with the one you love
0: and you want to experience
1: this oh yes please (sighs) so do i (laughs) That was cornball. That conversation was corny.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This movie was kind of like a lot of the the things in this movie are like a corny mishmash of a lot of the stuff that was in like Star Trek, the next generation, (laughs) like with data, (laughs) you know, a lot of this stuff was explored a lot better.
1: For a movie that has such prolific ideas and has, and as a story has such merit they really managed to cram a lot of ridiculous, corny
0: things into it. Like, it's really impressive how they do that. <laughs> the next time you're in the movie, they don't even bother to tell you how many years. It just says, many years later. <laughs> yeah. All right, so this, this movie ends with the chief from Carmen Diego, Lynn Thigpen. She shows up and she grants him... Well, no, no. First, first, he goes to World Court or whatever. Who cares? Uh, this is man. You really don't want to talk about this movie. Like, <laughs> what is going on here? She grants him the right of humanity and says, "Andrew Martin, you are now officially the Bicentennial <laughs> man, <laughs> <laughs> the world's oldest human being. Besides biblical characters such Methuselah, <laughs> as Methuselah, you are you the are oldest, oldest living being. being. Whatever. But he sadly he dies before he gets to see it." Okay, after all this stuff, we see his wife survived him, and she turns to the nurse and says, hey, do me a favor. Kill me. Kill me. (laughs) Pull pull the plug. And then then we come to find out that the nurse is, in fact, that obnoxious robot, Galatea. She's been converted into human form. Now, in the beginning of the movie, they made a big to-do to show you the three laws of robotics. (laughs) And now, they don't really factor that much into this movie- I'm sure we'll talk about them more in depth when if we ever review iRobot because that whole movie is structured around that. But really quickly, the the three laws of robotics are these laws that Isaac Asimov created that state that a robot can never, ever hurt a human being. A robot has to listen to anything a human being has to say and a robot has to protect its own existence, essentially.
1: As long as it doesn't yeah, interfere, with, interfere the with the two other ones. laws. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: This human being just told this robot, kill me! And <laughs> hey, what does a robot do? All right, <laughs>
1: As the great Andrew Martin once said, one, one to be of service, service. <laughs> or whatever.
0: I'm like, pew, pulls the plug. <laughs>
1: kills her. So <laughs> I guess essentially the idea behind the ending was to be a human being, you have to be mortal. You have to die.
0: Yeah, and, and Asimov was very anti-immortality. Immortality.
1: Oh yeah. He was really against it. A lot of his stories deal with all of the suffering that would go on with living forever.
0: Okay. Okay, Martin, that's it. That's Bicentennial Man. Let's find out. What the real critics have to say about this movie. A cornball drone of greeting card sentiment, Roger Ebert at the movies. It's one thing to ask an audience to love a mechanical man, but quite another to love a mechanical performance. Liam Lacey, Globe and Mail. Nothing but a sappy, shameless, and morbid production that wastes talent and time in a script designed to line the bottom of a birdcage. David Keyes, Cinemaphile.org.
1: Jeez, that is harsh, that
0: last one. <laughs> and finally, this is a good one. Bicentennial Man is crusty, dusty, and musty. Metal or flesh and bone. Robin's rusty. <laughs> <laughs>
1: written by <laughs> W.B. <W>. Yeats. This <laughs> is a Yeats review. <gasps> Mark Ramsey, movie juice. That was movie, movie juice, juice? <laughs> <laughs> you I know what, really, i want to drink you that you know what i'm picturing I'm, I'm I'm picturing like film being crushed and then someone's <laughs> drinking the juice the v- that comes out of
0: it vhs taking a blender. oh god okay martin by man 37 percent round tomatoes the critics did not like it is it really that bad
1: no i don't think it's really that bad I think that, and I mean, I keep harping on it through this entire review, <laughs> but it, 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 I think it is the most important thing in this movie that what is brought up idea wise is like really, really cool and really interesting and very thought provoking. It's a movie that after you watch, you're going to maybe think about some of the stuff that's brought up long after you watch it. And I think that that's valuable in a movie. And so for that reason, I'm going to give this movie a three out of five. And also I wasn't bored watching it.
0: As for me, is it really that bad? This is kind of tough. When I first saw this movie, I originally gave it a three out of five, I think. But uh, I watched it this time. I want to give it a 2.5, but that is... That's not allowed, Joel. Not at all. So two, dumping it, dropping it down. Two out of five. I'll tell you this. This is what I'll say about this movie. It has a lot of very interesting ideas. This is the kind of movie I would classify as, this movie is more interesting to talk about than it is to watch. What do you think of that? I agree with you. So th- there's, I'm sure there's a lot of movies like that out there that fall into that category. So that's where I fall with Bicentennial Man. Is it like the worst thing I've ever seen in my life? No, I don't think it's horrible. 37%, that's kind of low. But you know what? These critics are right. It is really sappy. They're, they're absolutely right. No, I def- Cheesy and corny is true. I definitely agree with
1: them. I also enjoyed myself watching the movie. So, I mean, whether or not it's sappy and... It's too
0: long, though. How about that?
1: Hey, okay. That I agree with you. They... They could have did without him searching for the robots. That was necessary. <laughs> I, I
0: didn't need it to feel like 200 years, you know, while I'm watching it. Whoa. Thank you. All right, so there you go. That's it. Let's read some listener mail. Sean has a comment about the Boondock Saints. Sean says, "I love this movie, even never really having seen it sober or more than <laughs> or more than half awake. <laughs> this movie is great." Willem Dafoe I mean come on the character is obviously batshit crazy and gay and Dafoe just went for it way to commit bro I always laugh at that cat taking one in the head too it doesn't matter that I know that it's coming it still shocks me it just never ends well for that cat love the show keep up the good work Sean okay and Miles has something to say about the gunplay in the boondock saints if, for whatever reason, you decide to go into battle with a pistol, three is the maximum any semi-sane gunfighter would consider. And you reload. You don't just drop the gun and grab another.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, many,
0: so many movies do that, though, where they just, oh, number one offender of that is wanted. Doing that takes too long weighs too much, and gets really expensive really fast. I remember the lobby scene in The Matrix being one of the goofiest things I'd ever seen, but I didn't take it for what it was, an utterly nonsensical orgy of violence. By the way, for two guys based out of New York, you seem to know a thing or three about guns and the law, at least compared to a lot of directors and writers. But if you ever need a firearm question answered, apparently I know stuff that isn't even on the internet. Thanks for reading this and keep up the good work. Miles. P.S. I heard of a Japanese zombie movie that is basically one long action scene. All the clues I have are that it involves the Yakuza and even the zombies have guns. Sorry, that's all I have to go on. But given that you guys know a hell of a lot more about movies than I do, ring any bells? Well, uh, I-, I did a little research and uh, all signs point to verses. Look into that. Do a Google search for verses. If you want to reach us, you can contact us at yeahitsthatbad@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Here are some of the answers to the last question of the week we got. The question was, what movie were you obsessed with in high school or college? Buxomia says, Fight Club. While all the girls were obsessed with Save the Last Dance, I was obsessed with Chuck Palahniuk's World. Obsessed. Anonymous writes in saying, Killing Zoe, since it was roughly tied to Tarantino and he was all the rage in school. Also, I paid $80 to get Pulp Fiction on VHS the day it was released. Whew. I, wow. saw, yeah, well, wow. I, I saw Killing Zoe, yeah, it's okay. All right, Allison said, I just got out of high school, but Fight Club and Donnie Darko are tied for the movie I was obsessing over. But I do love Fight Club slightly more. Anonymous says, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and Super Troopers were my go-to college movies. Anonymous said, My friends and I were obsessed with This is Spinal Tap in college. Hmm. Hmm. And Wesley writes in saying, American Beauty... I still say it's the best movie ever. It was the first film I ever saw that tackled family relations in a way that seemed like an emotional drama, suspense thriller, and comedy all in one. You know, okay, so in honor of Bicentennial Man, just like I said before, here's the question of the week. What do you think is a movie that is more interesting to talk about than it is to watch? As for me, I'm going to go with a movie I just watched recently called Dogtooth. That's way more interesting to talk about than it was to actually watch it. What do you think? What I think
1: f- for me, it's 2001 A Space Odyssey is, is definitely more interesting for me to talk about than to actually watch.
0: Okay. So if you have an answer to the question, head on over to yastatbad.com and leave a comment on this episode's page and we'll read it on the show. Tune in next week when we will be reviewing G.I. Joe.
1: Yeah. I can't wait for my childhood to be destroyed. <laughs> I'm really excited for that
0: Come on, Rise of the Cobra Oh god <laughs>
1: You know, as far as that cartoon show goes It <laughs> it doesn't hold up <laughs> I don't care because I still loved it But there was like a million lasers Shooting around everywhere you know, No say, one
0: ever got hit Save that amazing talk for uh,
1: Yeah, alright
0: for, for, for later Okay, so tune in next week We'll be reviewing G.I. Joe G.I. Joe is also available on Netflix Instant So you can play along with us at home now we need to announce the choices for the next Listener's Choice episode. The theme of the next Listener's Choice episode will be video games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the next, okay, the choices are Mortal Kombat versus The Wizard, <laughs> which is essentially just a vid- like an ad for Super Mario Bros. 3 starring Fred <laughs> Savage. So, Mortal Kombat... Starring
1: Fred Savage and an autistic kid.
0: Yeah, Mortal Kombat versus The Wizard. What? That is going to be a battle. You decide whatever you want. Again, both these movies are available on Netflix Instant, so you can play along with us at home.
1: Let's see if the curse can continue to be broken and we get the movie that we want.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to reveal what that is. No, no, no,
1: of course not. Or else it'll jinx it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so to recap... Next week will be G.I. Joe and go to YesThatBad.com where you can vote for either Mortal Kombat or The Wizard. Now, if you've already seen G.I. Joe, please call in with a voicemail at 973-797-YEAH. That's 973-797-9324. Leave us your little mini review of G.I. Joe. But also, you know, I'm going to open it up even more. I want some more voicemails on the show. So if you have a question or comment about any of the previous episodes, feel free, call us and I'll play it. Or if you just have a question or comment about anything, whatever, if it's, if it's relevant enough. Yeah.
1: As as, as long as it's movie relevant.
0: Yeah. So give us a call once again, 973-797-9324. Leave us a voicemail and we will play it on the show. Okay. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. That really helps us out. Please spread the word of the show to your friends. And you can do that by going to yesthatbad.com and liking us on Facebook and talking about us on Twitter. And you can follow us on Twitter at yeahit'sbad. Once again, thanks for listening. See you next time. Reminded me of flubber. Oh my
1: god. W- what? Are you serious? <laughs> are you are you kidding me?
0: Read this. Read this out loud, Joel. Once again, Martin and I were not in the same room when we watched this movie. We didn't take notes in the same room, and Martin wrote "Flubber face." <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Will you read my note? <laughs> yeah, sure. What is your note?
1: "Flubber face."
0: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> this is one for Record Books.